Well, hello, Beth Takoon, and welcome to you and anyone else who happens upon our video. And this is our ongoing study of the book of Yehoshua, Joshua. This week, we're in chapters 13 and 14. And from here on out, I'm probably going to be doubling or tripling up the chapters as we go out through them and finish out the book of Joshua. So we're now in the second half of the book, and the division of the land is underway. The big battles are over, though there are still other battles to be won, and instructions are now being given regarding which tribe gets which portion of the land west of the Jordan. Joshua's seven years of conquest are over, and he now spends the next seven years dividing up the land between the tribes and families. Before we get there, though, we're recalling the inheritances of Reuben, Gad, and Manasseh to the east of the Jordan, just in case there was any dispute about those lands before they took possession of them. So let's dive into the text and see what we can find. Joshua 13, verse 1. Now Joshua was old and advanced in years when Adonai said to him, You are old and getting on in years, yet very much of the land is still left to possess. So this section talks about the unconquered territories. Um, and what's interesting to note here is that even though there are unconquer unconquered territories, we still commence with the division of the land. And I would think that perhaps the purpose of the division at this unfinished stage is to encourage each tribe to fight the smaller battles for their own lands. Maybe, maybe not. Worth considering, though. But if we look at it in the big picture, it, it kind of plays out that way. God in bringing them out of Exodus, uh, bringing them out of Egypt in the Exodus, out of slavery, he did that all himself. That was him entirely. And then between then and now, there was a mixture of God fighting with and for uh, Israel in the land. Now, the, the, the division is happening of the land, and the, and the tribes and families are encouraged to fight their fights while God takes care of the bigger battles. Something to think about. Maybe it's true, maybe it's not, uh, but it's worth considering. Moving on, verse 2. This is the land still left, all the regions of the Philistines and all the Geshurites from the Sichor, which is near Egypt to the territory of Ekron northward, counted as Canaanite. The five Philistine lords of Gaza, Ashdod, Ashkelon, Gath, and Ekron, also the Avim. In the south, all the land of the Canaanites, from Mira of the Sidonians to Aphek, as far as the border of the Amorites, the land of the, the uh, Gibelites, and all Lebanon toward the sunrise, from Balgad at the foot of Mount Hermon to the entrance of Hamat. And verse 6, all the inhabitants of the hill country, from Lebanon to Misrafot Mayim, all the Sidonians, I myself will drive them out from before B'nai Yisrael only allotted to Israel for an inheritance, as I have commanded you. Here, God commits to assist Israel in completing the conquest of the land, but we read in Judges 2 that the Israelites declined to wage further wars of conquest. So this could have been completed, but was not, and not because God wasn't going to help. In the next section of chapter 13, um, that actually finishes it out, is the inheritance, recalling the inheritances of Reuben, Gad, and Manasseh. Um, again, this is something that had already been done by Moses before his death. And 
these th these two and a half tribes had been with the rest of Israel this whole time. Had come into Canaan with them, was fighting alongside them, um, and until now hadn't yet taken possession of their of their lands to the east. So verse seven of thirteen. So now divide this land as an inheritance for the nine tribes and the half tribe of Manasseh. So they're talking about dividing the land up uh, west of the Jordan because again. East of the Jordan had already been claimed. So the, the Transjordan territories were already assigned by Moses. Um, uh, and though not possessed by the two and a half tribes uh, through Moses's, uh, before Moses' death, as recorded in Deuteronomy. Reuben, Gad, and half Manasseh would not take possession, though, until after the conquests were over. I think it's good to pause here and think about the difference between inheritance and heritage. Rabbi Sachs has a few words about this in his teaching on Parsha Pincus, and it goes something like this. Biblical Hebrew contains two different words for what we receive as a legacy, Yerusha, or Morasha, and Nachala. Nachala is related to the word Nachal, a river. It signifies something passed down automatically across the generations as river water flows downstream easily and naturally. Yerusha comes from the root yarash, meaning to take possession. It refers to something to which you have legitimate title and for which you need do nothing to acquire or keep. For example, a hereditary title, such as being a duke or an earl, is passed from father to son so too is a family business. The difference is that while the former needs no effort on the part of the heir, the latter requires hard work if it is to continue to be worth something. The land, in that way, is like a business, not a title. It must be earned if it is to be sustained. It must be worked in order for it to retain its value. Rabbi Samson Raphael Hirsch, in an almost prophetic synopsis of our present-day society, identifies the difference between Yerusha and Nechala as reflective of two opposing ways in which the younger generation may relate to the older generation. In one model, the younger generation views itself as primary, rejects its connection to the past, and takes for itself everything the elders had built up. In such a case, the inheritance of the younger generation may aptly be called Yerusha. In the second model, the younger generation views itself as the continuum of previous generations. Inheritance under this more conservative paradigm is called Nakhala because, like a river, it flows seamlessly. In this preferred model, there is no disconnection or repudiation, as both the older and younger generations are of one continuum, and the young, young appreciate the old. Moving on now to verse 8. With the half-tribe, the Reubenites and the Gadites received their inheritance, much, uh, or, or which Moses gave them beyond the Jordan eastward, just as Moses, the servant of Adonai, gave them. Here we see the two and a half tribes finally taking possession of their lands on the east side of the Jordan. It wasn't until this point that that, that, that happened. Um. The next several verses, finishing out the chapter from 13 verse 9 through to 33, is dividing up the territory. And I'm not going to read it all. 
<laughs> you can read it. You can pause it and read it if you'd like. Um, I will say this, though, that in verse 14 of chapter 13, I'll read that out loud. Only to the tribe of Levi he gave no, he gave no inheritance, no, no nachala. The fire offerings of Adonai, God of Israel, are his nachala, as he spoke to him. So the, the Levite's nachala is service to God and the teaching of his word. Pretty substantial. They didn't get something physical as an inheritance, uh, but they got something that uh, may be considered better. Oh, I'm, I'm sure is better, a spiritual nachala. Okay, so moving on down through chapter 13. Um, and again, in verse 33, we see there that, that Adonai, God of Israel, is the Levites, Nachala, is their, is their inheritance, is the thing that they receive, that they are then to pass on, on down um, to the next generation. All right, chapters 14 through 19, we're not going to do all those, we're just going to do 14, but 14 through 19 are um, recording the inheritances of the tribes west of the Jordan. It takes all those chapters to go through all of the different tribes and, and where they have their possession in the land. Uh, so let's start in, in chapter 14, verse 1. Now these are the portions that B'nai Israel possessed in the land of Canaan, which Eliezer the Kohen and Joshua, son of Nun, and the heads of the ancestral houses of the tribes of B'nai Israel appointed to them. Their inheritance was by the lot, as Adonai had commanded by Moses' hand for the nine tribes and half-tribe. There is a fairness, I think, to the lots, um, the lottery, that is employed here, um, I believe, by divine design to quell any jealousy or bitterness between the tribes as the land is portioned out. Uh, Moving on to uh, verse 3. For Moses had given the inheritance of the two tribes and the half-tribe across the Jordan, but he gave no inheritance to the Levites among them. For the children of Joshua, or I'm sorry, Joseph, became two tribes, Manasseh and Ephraim. They gave no portion to the Levites in the land except towns to live in with their pasture lands around them for their livestock and for their cattle. The Levites could live in these cities, but did not exactly own the land they were on. And verse 5, as Adonai had commanded Moses, so B'nai Israel did and apportioned the land. So this is all set up for actually going into each tribe and, and, and describing their portion of the land. So chapter 14, verse 6 through 15, verse 63 which I believe is the end of the chapter 15, is the inheritance of Judah. And they take a long time. We, we have more on the inheritance of Judah than in any other tribe. Verse, verses 6 through 15 of, of chapter 14 is then the inheritance of Caleb, who is of the house of Judah, the tribe of Judah, his inheritance in Hebron. So here we see Caleb request the promised portion of land. Um, Deuteronomy 136 doesn't exactly name Hebron as the place on which he spied out. It says, he will see it, and I, Moses, will give him and his descendants the land he set his feet on, because he followed the Lord wholeheartedly. Again, Hebron is not mentioned by name there, but because, jo- uh, because Joshua agrees to this, and we see later, later on 
um, in the Tanakh where uh, this is also mentioned that Hebron was, was that land. That's how we have a confirmation that it was Hebron. Um, verse, verse 6, 14 verse 6. Then the children of Judah approached Joshua and Gilgal, and Caleb, son of Jephunneh the Kenizzite, said to him, You know the word that Adonai had spoke to Moses, the man of God, at Kadesh Barnea, concerning me and concerning you. So here um, we uh, see that, that Caleb is for the first time called, was it Caleb? Yeah, Caleb was first, for the first time called a Kenizzite, most likely because his mother remarried after the death of Jephunneh to a man named uh, Kenez. Uh, also in this verse, man of God, the man of God, this is something that's only mentioned one time, one other time about Moses uh, in, in the Torah, I believe. Caleb is reinforcing the validity of his request by reminding Joseph of the promise giver's stature, of Moses' stature, uh, of being a man of God. Um, and this this was promised. This, the, the promise of this was described in Judges. Um, and then also in this verse, concerning me and concerning you, Caleb is recalling to Joshua their shared courage in the episode of the spies, which is the basis for what he's about to request. It's like all this is all this is kind of wrapping up. Um, putting a nice, neat bow on and, and an end to the episode of the spies, which is the reason why they were in the wilderness for so long. Uh, verse 7. I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of Adonai, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to spy out the land, and I brought him back word, as it was in my heart. So that phrase there, as it was in my heart, Caleb's loyalty, uh, his his wholeheartedness, to, to God was concealed in his heart until the time came to speak out against the ten in his report of the people or of the land to the people. <clears throat> Verse eight. Nevertheless, my fellows that went up with me made the heart of the people melt with fear, but I fully followed Adonai my God. So Moses swore on that day, saying, Surely the land on which your foot has trodden will be an inheritance to you and to your children forever, because you have fully followed Adonai, my God. So now behold, Adonai has kept me alive, just as he said, these 45 years, since the time that Adonai spoke this word to Moses while Israel was journeying in the wilderness. And now behold, I am 85 years years old today. So from these numbers, the timing goes something like this. One, the spies were dispatched in the second year after the Exodus when Caleb was 40. Two, Israel remained in the wilderness 38 more years. And three, 45 years later, ends seven years after Israel enters the land. That's where we get the number seven for seven years to conquer the land, Um, just in case you're wondering. Verse 11, I am still as strong today as I was in the day that Moses sent me. As my strength was then, so is my strength now for war and for going out and coming in. This, this phrase, going out and coming in, is, is an idiom for war. So he's just really hammering the point, um, I can still fight. Uh, I am as strong now as I was then, and I, am as strong now, uh, I was as strong then as I am now. So there's no difference. Verse 12, Now therefore give me this hill country about which Adonai spoke on that day. For you heard on that day 
how the Anakim were there, as well as great fortified cities. Perhaps Adonai will be with me, and I will drive them out, just as Adonai has spoken. Give me this hill country. It was about the land for Caleb, not necessarily the cities. It was the land. And obviously, because the Levites would get the city of Hebron anyway, we we can confirm that it was not about the city of Hebron, but about the Hebron, the hill country. Also in that verse, you heard on that day. We know that Joshua was one of the spies as well, uh, but this just drives home the point that Caleb was the only one who went into the Hebron to see what was there, the the fortified cities and the the giants. Um, Then finally in this verse, perhaps Adonai will be with me. This is um, indicative of Caleb's humility here in his request. Verse 13, so Joshua blessed him, and he assigned Hebron to Caleb, son of Jephunneh, as his portion. This is, I think, a beautiful scene here, really. Caleb was the one spy who saw the giants with his own eyes in Hebron, believed God would protect Israel in battle against such an adversary, but the battle was postponed 45 years because 10 spies convinced the people to fear. Caleb had been waiting a long time to demonstrate to the Israelites that his words concerning the land were sincere and that he truly believed in God's protection, for Hebron was the home of the giants. Caleb had unfinished business. Um, Conquering the giants was still needed, and Caleb was raring to go. And something else to note here in in this episode. There's an echo of a time when the tribal patriarchs were at peace with each other. Joseph, or I'm sorry, Joshua is of the tribe of Joseph. Caleb, the tribe of Judah. There's a scene in the Torah when Prince Judah approached Prince Joseph, humbly with a request. This story of Caleb is a brilliant device to allow this Judah-Joseph reenactment to remind the people of the unity of the brothers at their best. In Genesis 44, Parsha Vayagash, there was humility, brokenness, forgiveness, and joy. None of this, I don't believe any of this, would have been lost on Joshua and Caleb as this was playing out here in Joshua. All right. Verse 14. Therefore, Hebron became the inheritance of Caleb, son of Jephunneh the Kenizzite, to this day, because he followed Adonai, the God of Israel, fully. So more than once, Caleb is described as someone who is wholeheartedly uh, following God. And of course, we know Caleb, Kalev, is is uh, related to a dog, right? And a dog being just wholeheartedly for his master, as Caleb was. Finally, verse 15. Now the name of Hebron formerly was Kiriath Arba, for Arba was the greatest man among the Anakim. Then the land had rest from war. I believe the land had prepared for war 45 years ago when the spies had begun the process of reconnaissance. Um, And now with the giants conquered, as we'll see in the next chapter, the land could finally rest. And I believe Caleb could as well. So some 
really good stuff to chew on in these two chapters, I think. Uh, but we'll leave it there for now. So until next week, may God bless you all and may he make us into the kind of people who understand the difference between inheritance and heritage. People who understand that there are some fights God wants us to fight on our own while he handles the bigger battles and that we fearlessly do so. And may he make us people who get along with our siblings in the household of faith with humility, brokenness, forgiveness, and joy. Shalom.